It's the Basketball Hall of Fame's Legends Podcast. I'm Kyle Belanger. Joining me today is a 1997 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee. He's an eight-time NBA All-Star, a one-time NBA scoring champ. His 25,613 career points made him a legend of legendary Titanic proportions. He was the number one scorer in the decade of the 80s in the NBA. He's also a South Carolina Gamecock legend, and his number 22 is retired by the Gamecocks in Columbia. His number two, retired by the Denver Nuggets, he is, of course, Mr. Alex English. Mr. English, thanks so much for your time today. Oh, you're welcome. I'm glad to be here. So, um, Alex, I want to start with the way that your legacy sort of begins, um, which is one of steady and constant scoring. Never really flashy, just excellent, steady, offensive firepower. Can you give me a sense of, of when you realized that your game was different? Was it in Columbia? Was it before that at Dreer High School? When did you realize that Alex English was different? Well, I uh, I don't know if I realized that I was different. I realized that I um, enjoyed playing the game of basketball and wanted to go and uh, go to the highest level with it. So I put in a lot of work and you know, I, I did the basic stuff. You know, I learned uh, from the old, from the old school coaches like Frank McGuire, Donnie Walsh, and you know they taught me that the simple stuff like when you shoot a shot, you follow your shot. Uh, you only need one or two dribbles, and I incorporated that into my game. I was mainly a mid range, mostly a mid range player. Uh, my my scoring was from mid range, and. Uh, I worked on my mid-range game, and, and I, what I did was I tried to perfect different types of shots within the mid-range area, so that uh, you know I'd be able to score over sometimes taller opponents, sometimes uh, quicker opponents. So that's I, I think that's probably what made my game a little different uh, from others. And now after USC, you were selected by the Milwaukee Bucks in the second round of the 1976 draft. Can, can you recall that day, the draft experience, just uh, how the whole thing unfolded for you as you were about to take that next step? Well, it wasn't as much height, but nowhere near the height as it is now. You know, I was a second round pick. It wasn't no uh, come to New York, uh, sit in the green room and we call you up on stage. It was, uh, a telephone call from Milwaukee Bucks. I got a telephone call from Wayne Embry saying that they had selected me in the second round. And that was it. I was very excited about it and uh, waited for all the details when I needed to report. So uh, once I found that out, I started really working on my game that I had gotten drafted. You know, my dream to be an NBA player was, was getting near. So I, I started working even harder. I love that the phone call comes from Wayne Embry too, right? Another Hall of Famer, another man yeah. with just such an incredible legacy um, on so many fronts, not just basketball, but also sort of the the important social fronts too. What was what was your relationship like with Wayne Embry in those early years? We had a great relationship. Uh, you know, back then it was more of a employee, uh, general manager type. But you know, knowing that Wayne Embry was. Uh, had broken the color barrier in the NBA as one as the first uh, African American general manager president of the team, you know, made it even more special. 
And over the years, it, it, you know, there were a couple of things that happened during that time that made it even special, more special, because Wayne Embry, uh, my second year with the Milwaukee Bucks, they had three draft, three first-round draft choices, and they had drafted two guys that were at my position, uh, Marcus Johnson and uh, Ernie Grunfeld, and they were first-round picks, and they were, oh, no, this was the first year, the first year. Uh, I was playing behind uh, Bob Dandridge. They had Junior Bridgman and uh, Dave Myers. And after my first uh, preseason, Wayne Embry called me and they said, well, we have to make a cut because, you know, this is the, there's a limit to how many people we can keep. Uh, well, they called me down. Brian Winters, the great Brian Winters from the University of South Carolina, took me down. He gave me a ride because we lived in the same apartment complex. He gave me a ride. We a very sad ride down. And uh, we're going to see Don Nelson, Wayne Embry. They take me, we go down, he he uh, parks and says, I'll wait for you here over at Major Goosby, which was a pretty hot uh, little bar there in Milwaukee across from the arena. And I go in and I go in and see Don Nelson and Wayne Embry. I'm really sad and just, you know, thinking my dream was about to come to an end because they had to make a cut. And, you know, this was that cut time. So I go in, Wayne Embry says, well, you know, on your way down here, we looked at everything and we decided that, you know, we would like to keep you. <sighs> and you could you could not imagine the joy that I felt. And I tried to contain it uh, because I was, I was going there thinking I was going to get cut. But in reality, I was saved. Wayne Embry said, we're going to keep you. You put in too much work. We like your game, and uh, we're going to keep it. We're going to do whatever we need to do. So that was my first year, my rookie year. And uh, I got to stay there, and that was the beginning of my career. It was. It, that, what an incredible story. And it wasn't until you signed with the Pacers, really, in 77, 78, that you started to establish that reputation as a scorer. Um, was that the goal in moving to Indiana, you know, more of an ABA-style team that was playing more wide open? Or did it just work out that way, that at that point, all that work you were putting in on your mid-range game started to come to fruition? Well, I think it just worked out that way. I uh, I had put in a lot of work, and the second year, which was what I started out with, they had drafted Marcus Johnson. They had three first-round picks, Marcus Johnson, Ernie Grunsdell, and Kent Vinson. So that elevated the team. And, uh, you know, I was on the squad. So it was, a t- it was tough making the team the second year also, but I had established myself that first year. They kept me. And I had a pretty good playoff. We played the Phoenix Suns in the playoffs. Uh, ended up losing, but I had a good, a pretty good playoff series. And at that time... The, the way free agency worked was that if a team if a team gave you a contract, the team that you left had an opportunity to match that offer and keep you. So uh, the Indiana Pacers took a chance. They said, "Okay, we're going to pay him uh, this amount." I remember the exact amount. It was three year deal, one thirty, one fifty, one seventy for three years. Um, and, and Strick Leonard called me at midnight on a, a free agency and said, we want to sign you. They signed me. And uh, the Milwaukee Bucks had an opportunity to match that offer. And I guess, you know, uh, Don Nelson wanted to go a different direction. It felt like they, they were offering me too much money. And they didn't want to spend that kind of money. 
and they let me go. And I ended up starting in Indiana. And, of course, I've always wanted to take my game higher. So I worked even harder because I, I was really disappointed that Milwaukee felt that they would be paying me too much money to keep me. Indeed. So I went on to Indiana, and I, I played for Slick Leonard. We had a good squad there. Uh, they didn't have really have a, a score, and I kind of filled in, uh, you know, scoring for them. Uh, what just the you know just what I did, just mid range game, following my shot, running the floor, getting putbacks, rebounding, and people think that my game is mainly a, a scoring game. But if you go back and look at the record books, uh, the Denver at the Denver Nuggets, I think I was the all time if not the all-time, but one of the top assist men on that team and rebounders and shot blockers. So I tried to make my game an all-around game. It's funny how how we, we've evolved into a, a, a society that only looks at that one column in the stat sheet, the, the sexy one, right? And now your trade to Denver midway through 79-80 was one of, I think, the most fortuitous happenings of your career as you land in Denver, a place that you'd spend the decade, your, your, your face and your name being synonymous with the Denver Nuggets. Can you remember your initial reaction to how you found out about the trade um, and how long it took you to feel comfortable in Denver? Well, I I, uh, I found out I was getting traded. It was kind of mixed emotions. We had a pretty good squad in Indiana. But the person that had made sure uh, that was instrumental in me getting traded to Denver was Donnie Walsh, who was my, my college coach, one of my college coaches, and he had Ben Job there. And, uh, you know, he, he knew how I played and knew, you know, who Alex English was. So I was kind of... It was bittersweet, but I liked Denver, the city, too. So when I get traded there, you know, they were rebuilding. Uh, they didn't have a score, and Donnie Walsh just this, you know, he said, well, you know, this is what we want to do. He was the, I think he was one of the, uh, yeah, he was the head coach of the assistant. He had, he had taken over for Larry Brown. And we had uh, brought Doug Moe in, and we put in the offense, and Ben Job was there. We we put in a fast-paced offense, fast break, uh, which suited my game because I love running and I enjoy running so much. And, and I, I realized early that in order to score, you just beat a guy down the floor, you get an easy shot. <laughs> so I got a lot of easy shots. And then it was also perfect for the mid-range game, pushing the ball up the floor because you got a lot of mid-range shots. So my game blossomed there going to Denver, being with my old coaches, and then uh, having Doug Moore coach me, who I had a great relationship with and just loved him to death because he gave me the opportunity to express myself on the floor. Now, after your playing career, uh, you worked in management for the Raptors and coaching with the Sixers, the Hawks, and the Kings. Was there any one of those assignments that just felt na- just felt so natural that you wished it lasted a little bit longer? Well, I really enjoyed my time in Toronto working with the Raptors, uh, with Sam Mitchell. Uh, we, we had a good squad there, and I felt like uh, we had an opportunity to build something great, but we didn't get the chance to stay there long. But we, and I enjoyed working in Toronto. Uh, a lot of the young players that came in, we got a chance to develop them. 
I enjoyed that aspect of it. Uh, but coaching, I enjoyed a lot. Uh, from uh, Toronto, I got got a chance to go to uh, the Sacramento Kings and work with some of the uh, young players there as well. And you know, I, I just got a, a, a feel, got a, a, a inkling to coach. But unfortunately, I never got the opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA. But I did head coach in the uh, in the uh, D League when they had the, the first year. I coached the uh, North Charleston Locators, and we ended up losing in the championship uh, playoffs in the championship. But I really enjoyed that. I really enjoyed putting together uh, my style, my team. Uh, what I wanted to do, and look forward to doing that again. Uh, unfortunately, I, you know, the, you look at the league now; it's going back. It's, it's cyclical. You know, at first it was defense with the Detroit Pistons wings. Everybody stayed with that a lot, and now it's you know they're trying to put more points on the board. They're putting scores together, and and adding and and, and working hard on defense. But you know, it's a lot of scoring, and the NBA is more exciting because of that. So that's the, it's going back to the time when I played, the years that I played against the, the Celtics and the, the Lakers and the Rockets, all those teams, the Spurs that had great scores and a lot of great offensive play. And I see, you know, I, I see the league going back to that, but I have yet to see anybody go back to the high scoring pace of the Denver Nuggets teams that I played. I hope it's coming because, gosh, those teams I do too. those teams were so much fun, and that style of play was so signature to the 1980s in the NBA. It was when that comes back around again, a, a game that is already that you and I love that has already gone through the roof will just hit fever pitch. Finally, Alex, what's it like to be working, and what does it mean for you to be working with the Hall of Fame at this stage in your incredible life? Well, I feel that I'm I'm. Uh... I'm honored. I'm very honored to, to be one of the one of the top hall of one of the top players of all time, and being in the Hall of Fame that says that says it all. I, I, I when I go places, all I have to do is show my Hall of Fame ring and say, and and you know, sign my autograph HOF ninety seven. Hmm. That says everything. I don't have to talk about my my career. I don't have to talk about the points I scored. Uh, being in the Hall of Fame, working with the Hall of Fame, working with Fran Jenkins at the Hall of Fame, it's been awesome for me. And uh, I, I think that continuing to be uh, an active member is, uh, is a joy that I look forward to every day. Well, you certainly played the game with a joy, and you are a diplomat of the game with the same amount of joy. He is a 1997 Naismith Memorial Basketball Hall of Fame enshrinee, an eight-time NBA All-Star, a one-time NBA scoring champ, and a legend whose number has been retired both at South Carolina and with the Denver Nuggets. He is Alex English. Mr. English, thanks again for spending this time with me today. Thank you, Alex.